My name is Jim, and it's my honor and pleasure to be the senior pastor here, a part of our pastoral team, and a great and the best staff of people in southwest Georgia, praise God. Oh, yes. And even more joyful is that we get to be here together as First Methodist Church of Albany in God's house uh, with this precious family of God. Thank you uh, for being with us today. I just know that my, my life is richer because you are a gift to me. I hope you're a gift to each other too, and you know that. We're going to start a new series of sermons today I'm very excited about uh, along the way. I don't know, do any of you uh, enjoy poetry? Nobody. This is the least poet. Thank you. There, there are four of you. And thank you, Tim. Guys, you can like poetry, ladies and gentlemen. There's a poet I'm quite fond of uh, named Mary Oliver. She has a poem called um, The Summer Day, and she writes, she basically asks this question in an artful way, as a poet should. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's pretty good. I like that. My my life is wild. I have many children, so that fits. What will you do with your one wild and precious life? It makes you consider. And, you know, I wonder, how do we go about answering a question like that? And quite frankly, I think it really depends on what story you are shaped by in living. To whom do you belong? And what are you called to do? Who do you aim to be? Now, in this series of sermons we're beginning today, it's called Entrusted. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at... uh, the the faithful foundation for answering that question, which is the transformative power of whole life stewardship. Whole life stewardship. So let's begin. Uh, Today we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 25, verses 14 through 13. And quite frankly, if you all paid attention to the children's message, I don't think I could do a better job with this passage than Gary Unger did. He did a fantastic job. I'm sitting there saying, Gary, I wish you would have run this by me beforehand. I wouldn't have let you do it. I'd have taken your notes and I would have sent you home. So if you fall asleep during mine, just know that you already got a pretty solid sense. Let's turn to the Word of God, which is more important than anything I'd have to say. Jesus teaches. Give heed to his words. He says, for it, and this would be in reference to the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one with the two talents came. He also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You know, sometimes I wonder why Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights prefers to pray to little baby Jesus instead of grown-up Jesus. And then I read a story like this, and I'm like, yeah, I think I get it. This is a... This is a tough one. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not holy infant tender and mild. This is the master who calls a completely innocent servant wicked and worthless and tosses him out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By itself, the story sounds, uh, it's, a, it's a bit strange, and when you put it into context and start trying to figure out how it applies to our lives, it's enough to make anybody go, huh, okay. Let's take a look at it together. This is a parable. That's a, the genre of story. It's, it's, it's a kind of story, kind of a fable-type story, in which Jesus uses to describe uh, real-world, real-gospel truth. And so, in, in a parable, it's very rare that you're going to have a direct 100% one-to-one relationship that this represents that in its totality. But the master in the story does represent an aspect of God. And the servants in the story represent somebody else, <laughs> us. You put it all together, and it sounds like this is, let me just tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like Jesus is telling us that we can be accountable to hell for nothing. I don't know about you, but 
Have you ever heard something that's true? Maybe it's in the Bible, maybe it's somewhere else and you didn't like it, so you kind of just play with it a little until it works a little better. I mean, nobody does that. You've never done that with anything. You never did that with your parents when you were growing up either. Always honest truth. Well, I think we can, I think we can get around the, the difficulty on this one a little bit. I've got some skills. Let's try this out. We could, for example, we could, we could look at this passage and say, aha, it has the word talents in it. And so we can take this whole story of Jesus, whole parable, this teaching of Jesus, and we could make it about talents, right? Skills and abilities. That's what the word talent means to us. Many a preacher has done it. I've done it too. Jesus wants you to use your talents for the kingdom. You crochet, crochet for the kingdom. You whittle, whittle for the kingdom. You can watch hours of Netflix and stay awake. Bring that endurance to the kingdom of God. Now, there is a shred of truth, absolutely, to that interpretation. For we should use our skills and abilities for the kingdom of God. There are many stories about people who are living one way, and the Lord took whatever talent they were using for illicit and weird ends and made it good for the kingdom. But that interpretation, you can't say that's what this is all about. It doesn't, it scratches the surface, but not deep enough of the parable's big idea because it's really based on a misunderstanding. Have you ever noticed that words change meaning over time? They're just like, you'll say a thing and somebody will be like, whoa, that's not what that means. And you're like, that's what it meant four minutes ago. Don't even try (laughs) Urban Dictionary. It's really not safe for work, but if you need some help. For example, the word nice used to mean silly and foolish. So think about that the next time somebody tells you you look nice. The word awful, for example, used to mean uh, worthy of awe instead of terrible. Words change, and and the word talent, it's really the same thing. It's really that. It means to us, like America's got talent, Britain's got talent. That's what my YouTube cue keeps telling me. But it really is a carryover word from the time of Jesus in the Greek economy, a talent was a financial term representing 15 years, it's an, an annual wages of a 15-year period. I know a lot of you have that many talents in your bank account, 15 years wages. Um, I don't, but that's fine. And so if we're responsible students of Scripture, if we keep that in mind, we can't just say uh, that this is about talent, right? Though you can interpret this to say, hey, use your talents for the kingdom of God, but you can't just say this parable is really just about you singing in the choir, though you should sing in the choir. Right, Brandon? Brandon, yes, he says yes. If you can sing, well, we have another choir for people who don't sing. It's called our pastor's pew. Anna and I just go back here and we're like, we love Jesus, we love Jesus. All right, so... Well, if it's about money, then if talent is money, if it's about money, then maybe this parable is all about money. Maybe we can do, you know, this is a preacherly opportunity here. Let me straighten my tie. I wish I had some Brill cream right now. Put a little pocket square in. We could make this about how you should tithe and you should give to the church. And you should. And we, you should be generous with your money. We could make this all about money. And because, because that has a shred of truth in it. Because the parable says that the master entrusted his money to his servants. And so there's some truth to that. That is the biblical way to understand money. That God actually owns it and entrusts it to us and we use it for his purposes. Everything belongs to God. And financial generosity is right in line with the big idea of the parable. But 
it's not by itself the big idea of the parable. And when we look at this in the broader context of Jesus' teachings and the whole Bible, we'll see that this story is not about money or talent or any one thing. It's about every one of those things and more. It's about everything. It's about everything. This parable expresses an all-pervasive biblical truth that you will see all throughout the, cor- the scope of Scripture, uh, one that is at the core of a heart story that is formed by Jesus Christ. It's a principle um, that affects our entire worldview and how we look at the world once we've come into the family of God through Jesus Christ. And it's a principle that while it sounds hard because of what we just read, it can actually bring us freedom and joy and enrich our lives and enrich our witness for Jesus Christ. And here it is. Everything belongs to God and is entrusted to us to steward faithfully. Everything belongs to God and is entrusted to us to steward faithfully. Straight from the the Scripture, the parable begins this way. Look at verse 14. For the kingdom of God is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. He entrusts to them what is his. That is what God does. Everything belongs to God. Consider these verses. You can see it all throughout Scripture, like verse, uh, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Thank God, because if the world was mine, like, I'd forget something, and then, like, the tide wouldn't move over there and really mess things up. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Oh, and Colossians 1, go read this sometime. Colossians 1 is so beautiful, talking about Jesus. He says, all things, all things have been created through him and, if you know it, for him. Everything we have belongs to God and not us. God has entrusted it to us. Our lives, entrusted to us by God. Our bodies, entrusted to us by God. Our families, our friends, the people next to you in this moment, entrusted. Our skills and our abilities, entrusted. Our money and our property and our potential, entrusted. Our responsibilities, even the big ones that go on the resumes and even the not-so-big ones like, oh my gosh, the dog keeps shedding on the couch and I need to use that lint roller thing. All of those responsibilities entrusted to you by God. Our ministry together in Albany and Southwest Georgia doesn't belong to us, entrusted to us by God. We are not owners. We are stewards. Go ahead and take your car title to heaven and tell God that it really belongs to you. My dad said it always belonged to the bank, and I believed that for the longest time. Everything we have is a gift from God. And guess what? This is, it's hard to hear that sometimes because the first step you've got to make is you've got to make the I don't own 
God owns. And that, like, if that story is deep in your heart, that is a hard separation to make, and it can be offensive. Like, I feel that. I feel that deeply. I've been a Christian for a minute and a half, and, and I feel that. But listen, think about it this way. That means that God is ultimately the one who has given it, and, and God is the one. He has more invested in every part of your life than you ever could. The fact that you are alive, God has more invested in the fact that you are alive than you ever could. God has more in, invested in the fact that you have an earning potential of a certain kind than you ever could. God has more invested in the fact that he gave you that friend or those children or that spouse or that crazy family member. God has more invested in that than you ever could. That's actually pretty freeing. Everything we have is from God. And and look, those gifts are precious. If you've ever gotten a gift from somebody who you just love and honor and cherish, that is a precious gift. I mean, my wedding ring I wear right now is just an example. I was just looking at that. That's precious. It's a precious thing to have a gift from God, and so it's an honor to have them, so we treat them with with care, and we care for them, and we use them well, and not for our purposes, but for God's purposes. We are custodians of everything God has entrusted to us. Okay, with that in mind, let's go back to the parable a little bit, because that that wicked servant is still bothering me. The issue with the wicked servant wasn't that he squandered the money, It's that he did nothing with it. You see that? It's not that that, uh, he did something wrong. He just did nothing. And so the wicked servant was, in fact, held accountable for doing nothing. He was sent out into the darkness for nothing because that was the problem. It wasn't like he made a mistake and lost some of the money. I think the master would have been fine with that because he would have done something. The issue is that he did nothing at all. And that choice to bury it and take no responsibility with what God had entrusted to him was, in essence, a choice for his eternal future. That sounds pretty grim and heavy when we apply that back to our lives. But let's take that truth and put it in the scope of the whole picture because there are three servants in the story. While the wicked servant's story takes up half of the text, the other servants' fates show us the rest. So they took what was entrusted to them, and they went to the marketplace, and they doubled the money. They maximized their opportunity instead of wasting it. Even if it was risky, they did something with what they were given to bring glory to their master. And they too, they were held accountable for it. I I know that this is how people feel about accountability. This is how I feel about it when the rubber meets the road. Um, I want you to be accountable, but I don't want to be accountable. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Accountability is for other people. It's got this weird feeling to it, doesn't it? Accountability doesn't feel great, but we all actually want it and we all actually need it. And we look, we're like, oh, that wicked servant, thank goodness he was held accountable. But the other two servants were held accountable too. It's just that when they were held to account, they used what was given to them for the master's glory and they were rewarded. You see, accountability is beautiful. And the master praised them and said, well done, you good and trustworthy slave. And you might remember this from uh, earlier translations, says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
You have been trustworthy, he says to them, in a few things. It's like an exact repetition. I will put you in charge of many things. Why? Because you have been a good steward. And the last phrase is beautiful. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's the beautiful thing of this understanding of stewardship is to enter into the joy of our master, the eternal God who loves us and has given us everything. A life of faithful stewardship is marked with the praise and the joy of God. When we know and we rest in the fact that everything about us and all that we are and all that we have is a gift that has divine potential. And thank God I don't have to keep the world spinning. I can just faithfully help the Lord keep the world spinning. That is filled with joy. Come enter the joy of the master. This is whole life stewardship. Whole life stewardship. And it's a revolutionary concept in the world that we live in where everything is mine and I earn everything and all the potential that would ever come to my life, I have to push and strive and manipulate and cajole for. So whole life stewardship is a revolutionary and freeing concept. Listen, it could change your life. We will have greater joy in the life that we have. I believe, because I know this in my own heart, that we do not enjoy the life we have as much because we are thinking about a life that we don't have and wishing it was there. But what about, what about, what if, what if the life you have is a gift? We'll find greater joy in it. We will rejoice in our bodies instead of trying to punish them, defeat them, or be ashamed of them. Thank God for your body. There is nothing you could possibly do in this world without your body. Nothing. We will be less attached to what we have. Material things will have less power. When my wife Amanda wants to throw away my t-shirt, I won't get so angry. Now get this, we won't get as tied up in knots over situations that we have no control over. We will see the world through eyes of abundance instead of eyes of scarcity because we know that the God who supplied it will supply it again, for he is faithful. And people around us will be happier and better because we'll recognize every opportunity to be with somebody as an opportunity to invest in them, to help them grow one step closer to the knowledge of God, one step closer to the calling that God has in their life, and and people will find blessing in that. And we will live life with open hands in in, in as many things as we can possibly have the grace to instead of closed and clenched fists. And we will find joy even in the dullest of responsibilities because even that responsibility is an opportunity to be a good and faithful servant and to know the joy of our master. And we will be free to pour ourselves out entirely for God and for others because we know that we are not a shallow puddle waiting for the next rain because God continually pours into our lives as if we are a reservoir of running water. And we will see in everything and every opportunity a seed of heaven and a gateway to the master's joy. Those are the, that's a beautiful thing. Now I know we're here in the church, in case you didn't know that, welcome. And a lot of times when we talk about stewardship, we kind of, we take it a narrow view. It's stewardship, that means it's time 
to talk about giving money to the church, and that is absolutely a part of it. We do give our money to the church because, one, we promise, but because we believe in what we do together. We also believe it's an act of worship, but, but it's not only money. This is what I want you to, this is, if we could really practice this in any way and recognize that stewardship is not just about a part of our lives, but about our entire lives, everything would change. We would cherish everything as a gift from our God, and we would care for it and enjoy using every part of ourselves to invest and proclaim His glory. And so tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? See, the answer is different depending on what story you are living. And the story of Jesus Christ and His redemption for us is that He gives us everything. He gives us everything. And it is His power and His love and His joy that we seek. And if that's the case, then what do I want to do with my one wild and precious life? Could it quite possibly be true of us that I want to give it all to Jesus? He has entrusted it to us so that we can use it for his glory. And so enter into the story of God where he has given us everything. Know the joy of receiving everything as a gift. Know the contentment of living free from the anxious stories of the world. Know the excitement about having a divine purpose for every part of your life and being. Live the entrusted life and enter into the master's joy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said amen. Amen.